0: Today's episode of the Sidious Mag Podcast on the Sidious Mag Podcast Network is brought to you by Gooder Sunglasses. I've been rocking Gooder on the run and while biking for the past couple months. They're super comfortable. They don't slip or bounce while you're running. Sometimes I have to pull a mask up while on the go just because I don't want to be breathing really hard around people around me. You know, you have gotta do your own part. And sometimes that can make shades really fog up. These do not. They come in super fun colors and styles that actually look really good. They've got fun names like Donkey Goggles or Mick and Keith's Midnight Ramble. My favorite is called a Ginger Soul. They're black and polarized. I've also rocked a pair called Iced by Yetis to a barbecue with some friends while socially distancing, of course. The best part about Gooder sunglasses is that they're ridiculously affordable and start at just $25 a pair. Gooder is generously offering our listeners absolutely nothing, not a single cent off, because there's no discount needed when they're already the most affordable performance shades on the planet. So I've put together a list of my favorites. You can go ahead and check them out. Go to gooder.com/sidious. That's g-o-o-d-r.com/sidious. Pick up a pair, look good, run gooder, legs are feeling good, eyes are looking gooder. My guest for today's episode is Chanel Price. I decided to get her on the show to detail just exactly how she's been able to come back among the country's best 800 meter runners at such a weird time. You know, we've got a global pandemic going on. There's no Olympics until next year, yet she's throwing down some pretty quick times. Chanel was the 2014 World Indoor 800-meter champion, but has really raced sparingly in the past couple years because she's suffered some pretty bad setbacks. Uh, She had a pulmonary embolism that led to some blood clots in her lungs. She had a battle with mono, a foot fracture that later required surgery. But despite all of those struggles, she has refused to retire and wants to give the 2021 Olympics one more shot. In this episode, we'll run through her career from being a high school star out of Easton, Pennsylvania, through her identity crisis and the developmental period at Tennessee, to the roller coaster of a professional career that she has had. Chanel will share why things are going well right now and why she decided to join the Nike Oregon Track Club and what it's been like racing amid a global pandemic chanel has a story of tremendous resiliency so i hope you enjoy it so without further ado here is chanel price i feel like we've got so much to catch up on because you know you've been racing a bunch so far although it's like virtually and super weird Um, you've been up and down throughout the last couple of years, but first of all, welcome to the show. Um, how is Eugene right now?
1: Eugene is good. Eugene is good. Um, it's one of the better places I think to be around the world for a runner because, um, even though, uh, we did go on lockdown in March, um, the trails have stayed open. The tracks have stayed open. So I'm, I'm pretty blessed that I've been able to, to keep on training. So, um, yeah, Besides training, I pretty much don't go anywhere else. Maybe the grocery store a little bit, but yeah. Eugene, it's it's been good.
0: It hurt me a little bit just a couple weeks ago to look at the calendar and see like, oh, I was supposed to be on a flight to Oregon at this point and maybe at this point I was supposed to be, you know, covering this final or whatever it was. What was that like for you I guess to look at the calendar recently and think, man, right now would have been the trials.
1: <laughs> yeah, it was it was a uh... It was pretty sad. <laughs> um, I was really looking forward to this year. I've had a few rough years, and so to be healthy and and back at it, I, I was really really excited. But um, in hindsight, I think it is a blessing in disguise because um, I did train. I did join a new training group just nine months ago, and so um, I think one extra year under under Coach Rowe is, is going to do me do me well. So sad, but in hindsight, I'm like, okay, this is this is actually probably a good thing for me.
0: So nine months in Oregon at this point has have you started to has it really started to feel like home yet or where are you at right now in that adjustment process?
1: Um, it's yeah, it's starting to feel like home. I think mostly because of uh, my roommate. Sabrina um she she's awesome and we get along so well and so I think that's really helped me adjust um we do pretty much everything together so that's been really cool to have her not just as a training partner but also as a new friend and um yeah I mean in terms of running the the community they're they're just so supportive and it's really cool just to be out on a run and have you know a fan say go Chanel you got this you know I've never really experienced anything like this so I'm really excited to be a hometown girl when I I do get to run at Hayward.
0: Everyone has been pretty jealous right now of being only able to see the new Hayward field from videos and photos on like Twitter and Instagram. Have you gotten up close to it or like what's the insider's look right now at the new Hayward field?
1: So I'm jealous too, because I haven't been able to, to get in there either. So I mean, I, it's literally like down the street from my house. So um, every time I drive by it, I'm like, Oh, I just want to see inside. But I mean, from the outside, it's looking, it's looking beautiful. So I'm really, I'm just excited as everyone else to, to get to step foot in there.
0: What's your favorite memory of the the Old Hayward Field because I read the women's running article that came out and your first big race there was, you know, back in 2008 against Maria Matola. So, it's you've been in the game for a while.
1: Yeah, yeah, that was my senior year in high school. That was that was definitely probably um my top memory. I was so young, so naive. You couldn't tell me I wasn't going to win the race. I took the lead and just um Looking back, I, I was insane for doing that. I was racing the Maria Matola, but um, I didn't care. You know, I was fearless. I was 17. So that that is definitely one of the top or probably the, the, the best memory I've had so far there. But hopefully that changes next
2: year.
0: <laughs> so to kind of understand where you are in your career right now, I feel like we need to get a grasp for the fact that you've been running the 800 for a while. Like, I think the longest... Uh, the earliest result that I could find was something from 2005 at the National Scholastic Indoor Championships, which I believe were like in New York City. Um, so now you're at, you've been at the higher end of the sport for a while. Why has it been for almost 15 years now that the 800 has been your bread and butter?
1: I don't know. That's a really good question. I think, you know, when I started running when I was nine, um, I started with the 400, and my mom noticed that all the other girls would be bent over afterward. And I, I'd, I'd just be fine. And she was like, okay, I don't think this is challenging you enough. Let's try the 800. And, um, right away, I just seemed to be, to just find a lot of success, especially in high school is when we started to notice like, okay, wow. Like I could be really good at this if, if I focus solely on track and field, because I was playing other sports. So, um, if I I knew that if I put my all into it, I could be really good at it. And, and, and that definitely started to show throughout my high school career.
0: In high school, did they have you obviously dipping down to the 400, 800? What's the, the furthest end? Was it 1,500 mile that they had you going? Because in high school, once you're talented, they have you doing everything.
1: <laughs> yeah, um, I actually uh, did do the two miles sometimes if we needed the points. And then I refused to run cross country my freshman year just because I was like I'm not that I'm not running that far but they persuaded me to run my sophomore year and I did it my junior and senior year as well um, and I had a lot of fun and ended up I think my junior year was my best finish at States I think I finished third um, so yeah I, I actually enjoyed cross country and, and had a little bit of success in it so um, cross country is the furthest that I ran <laughs>
0: When it comes to the 800 in particular, I mean, it's one thing to be good at it. When did you actually start to, to love it?
1: (laughs) Probably when I noticed that I was good at it. (laughs) Um, yeah, I think my freshman year, I want to say the summer of my freshman year, I ran at a summer meet. I think it was called like Nike, Nike outdoor nationals or something like that. And, um, I want to say I won if I can remember and I was like okay like winning is fun <laughs> you know so I think that that's when I started to fall in love with it when I started to win
0: <laughs> and kind of looking at sort of a lot of the statistics that I was able to to pull up you've tried your hand at the 1500 your PR is I believe 413 in the mile you've gone 443 back in 2014 but for someone who specializes in two laps what does that physically feel like when you have to push your body a little bit more? And, you know, when you look at the calendar and have to think, OK, now I've got to prepare for four laps.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, um, the mile. I, people say that they think the 800 is the hardest race. But the mile is for me very, very mentally tough just after I pass the 800 mark i just want to be done no matter how it could be 215 i'm still like i don't care like i'm tired i want to stop so i think it's more like just embracing that um the four laps mentally and i do want to try it more as i'm um nearing the end of my career I I have talked to my coach about you know I really want to break 410 and he's like okay you can do it but you have to embrace it more so mentally and so I feel like I have nothing to lose and and I'm really excited to see if I can to hit that goal of breaking 410 in the 15 before I hang up my spikes.
0: (laughs) On the shorter end of things fifty four twenty six is your 400 PR now you do want to clock a PR in the 15 how about that four is it is that fast twitch muscle still there
1: (laughs) the 400 i don't know i feel like in relays throughout college i was a 52 girl 53 girl um but whenever it comes to running the open 400 for some reason i just don't ever really seem to get it right um i would love to run a pr in the 400 as well um before i hang up my spikes so that that is a good point i didn't really think about that because um i don't really consider myself a 54 runner because i know i can run faster than that but it's again just putting it together so I think I will try to do that before I, before I walk away
0: <laughs> is it different though as sort of at like you know bigger stage races whether it's you know the trials or something like world relays where you kind of just don't think of numbers and you're just reactive to whatever's going on like in the first lap of an Olympic trials say it's like round one or round two do you mentally think about some of those splits or is it more of just Reacting to whoever's up in the front, if it's not you,
1: right, right. I think um, I was very obsessed with splits in the past um, because I was a front runner, and and so um, mostly with my previous coach JJ, it was if you're gonna front run, then let's hit these splits and let's feel this um, let's feel this rhythm. And so I think my new coach is trying to get me away from that and trying to teach me how to actually race you know and it's crazy because i'm 29 now and i say teach me how to race but it's it's true i i can't always just go out to the front and play catch me if you can i, I do need to develop some some racing strategies so um hopefully that that's what we wanted to do this year once we found out that uh, the olympics were postponed we were going to use this year to, to practice some different strategies so we'll see if, if that opportunity comes up with over these next few months
0: philosophically how different is coach roland from jj and sort of like take us through what that's like for an athlete at at your uh, level and at this point in your career to kind of pick up these training yeah. logs from one coach and then make the move to another coach and is it just like looking at seeing okay i think this is an area where we needed to improve or what is that what is that process like
1: yeah um JJ's training was very, um, the philosophy was more so uh, high, high quality, low quantity. So every day we were um, pretty much just getting after it. If it wasn't on the track, we it was in a run, but a very short run that had to be quick, you know, so um, just quality, quality, quality work. And I loved it because that's what I was more so used to in high school. Um, I didn't put in a lot of miles. I didn't enjoy the miles and I just liked the fast, hard stuff. Um, And so I saw success with that, with JJ, um, mostly post, post college, post collegiate. Um, And I parted ways with him in 2016 and actually joined um, Altus in mm-hmm. 2016. And so I was there for three years and my coach there, Ricky Seuss, he's more similar to my coach now, Mark Rowland. Um, they both are from um, Great Britain and they have more, they, we do do quality stuff, but we, they're big on easy mileage in between the quality sessions. Um, And that's something that I really had to get used to <laughs> um, taking my runs easier. I wasn't used to that. And they're like, well, if you're going to go six to eight miles instead of three to four, you're not going to be able to hold 630 pace. We don't want you to hold 630 pace. Just Go eight-minute pace. We don't care. And so, just learning how to just take it easy on my runs and really, really recover has been the hardest part for me. But I have seen that when I do do that, I've taken my workouts to a whole nother level. And so that's what's been able. That's why I've been able to buy into it because I'm like, oh wow, this actually does work. (laughs) When you recover, you are able to take your sessions to to a different level. And I've done things that I never thought I would be able to do. And so I think both both methods work. Um, and I'm just excited to see what putting in a little bit more aerobic work is going to do for me in the 800. So
0: and there's also like, we're, we're going to dive into sort of your injury history of the past couple of years. But there's also just like that delicate balance where, you know, those easy recovery runs being much slower, takes less of a toll on say, you know, whatever it was like your injured foot.
1: Mm-hmm. yeah absolutely absolutely and, not, and and for me cross training especially when i was under ricky at altis um i had to really buy into okay you don't have to run today get in the pool or get on the elliptical go so um yeah now that you say that injuries and and just knowing that it's okay to go easy <laughs> um it, it it's it's something that has been hard to get used to but i'm i'm definitely seeing the benefits of it
0: before we dive into sort of a little bit of you know the highlights from your professional career, I do want to touch on you know going back to 2008. You know, you get to run at the trials as a high schooler. You know, this is following that pre Fontaine Classic. What was that experience like for
2: you?
1: <laughs> that was that was a lot of fun. Um, right before the first round, my coach, my high school coach at the time, um, he all all year he was just telling me to to front run and just get out there and play catch me if you can. That's what you like to do. We're not going to change it now. But then right before um, the first round at the the trials, he said, I want you to sit in the pack and and use your kick. And I was just like, okay, you're my coach. I'm going to listen to you. But for some reason, like being in the pack, I just – I panicked. and I'm like, there's people around me. I don't like this. I'm tripping. I'm getting pushed. And it did not advance out of the first round. But I say all that to say just being there as a 17 year old, that was an accomplishment in itself. Um, So yeah, it, it was a lot of fun. But I, uh, looking back, I wish my coach would have just let me like catch me if he can.
0: <laughs> Do you somewhat feel that th- those eyes sometimes on you from like your fellow competitors being such a talented young star in high school at the time where in a stage like that, they're probably thinking it's like, I can't lose to this high schooler.
1: Oh, absolutely. I mean, uh, I, at, right. At, shortly after that, I went out to Tennessee and, um, JJ's sister Hazel Clark was was training as a pro under JJ and she told me she's like I couldn't stand you like I hated seeing you she was also in that pre-fontaine race that year so she's like I could not see I could not stand seeing you on the line you know this young girl we all know that we can't let her beat us so um yeah she she definitely kept it real with me and told me that it was not a a pleasure for her to see me at those races
0: when you get to Tennessee what is sort of like a little bit of the, the expectation sort of that you had for yourself? Because as your career goes on, you know, you finished third at NCAA Outdoors a couple of times. And I think to me, the highlight when I think of Tennessee at that time was just sort of seeing all the pen Relays wheels and like the relays uh, breaking records. And so that's that's what comes to mind when I think of the time at Tennessee.
1: Yeah, yeah, and me too. Yeah, I um, I went there. I, I remember I I had just been named the Gatorade um, Player of the Year. You know, they flew me out to the ESPYS. You're walking the red carpet with all these top stars, and you know, I'm I just felt like okay, I I want to go to Tennessee and I wanna I wanna prove to the nation, to the world, that I was worthy of this award. And so I just went there with with so much pressure on myself and. Just had a lot of expectations that I placed on myself. Um, I was like, you know, I don't even want to. I want to go pro after my freshman year. I'm gonna win in NCAA's indoor and outdoor and go pro. I'm gonna break two minutes right away. And it was just, a, like I said, a lot of pressure that I placed on myself, and I just didn't run well. It, it just really held me back. I, I, I'm not the type who um, I can I can handle high pressure situations, but the amount of anxiety and expectation that I placed on myself was not healthy. Um, and I just did not handle it well throughout college. Um, so those pen relays wins and those records and everything that I accomplished with my team is what kind of kept my spirits high because individually I wasn't performing to the standard that I, that I thought I should have. Um, so I'm really thankful that I had those highlights, um, throughout my career with like you said, at Pen Relays, because without it, I, I probably would have just given up because I just, I, kind of, I felt like a failure. My whole identity was wrapped up in Chanel Price Gatorade after the, of the year. And when I wasn't living up to that, I felt like, you know, who am I? I, I didn't know what my identity was outside of that. And so it's kind of it's definitely a dangerous place to be in um, as a 18, 19, 20 year old. But JJ, he was very patient with me and he cared about me more than just a runner, he cared about me as a young woman, and he was there for me every every step of the way. And we finally figured out we finally figured it out in two thousand fourteen when I when I won that indoor world title. We figured out how to how to handle all that pressure and expectation that I was putting on myself. So took some time, but we figured it out. <laughs>
0: this this might sound like a little bit weird coming from a guy asking, but. Being a high school star and then sustaining, you know, you had those expectations for yourself. And this is a point in life where bodies change and, you know, there's you see some of these high school phenoms try and make that adjustment. And it it doesn't take right away. And the success isn't there. And like you said, you know, someone could fi- get down on themselves very easily. It's it's good to hear that there was sort of like a patience and a longer term perspective from your coach at the time. But what I guess would you like key in on for people who might be listening to this, who are going through those, you know, developmental periods of their life that is important to keep in mind where it's more of a long-term approach.
1: Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think, and this is kind of, um, what JJ finally had to um, help me realize is like, you have to let high school go. Like this is a new chapter, It's a new environment. You're away from home. You're, it's, you know, you're like you say, your body's changing. There's, there's a lot going on, and so every he said everything you achieved the past four years was amazing. I don't, he didn't want to take that away from me, but he said let's this is this is let's start over, and um, that's what I think a lot of high school phenoms do. We we carry what we. And, and it's natural. You 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 carry what you what you've achieved into college. But um, my biggest advice would be to just embrace this new chapter. Know that it is completely different. Everybody's good. Everybody's a state champ. Um, and so just um, find a coach who cares about you more than just as a runner, as an athlete, who who really wants to to walk this new journey with you, because it is going to be a journey, and there are going to be highs, and there are going to be lows, and just. You, you need, you can't do it alone. So you really do need that support. You're young and you need that support from someone older and wiser who's going to be patient with you. And um, there will be breakthrough, but just give your body time. So I wish I would have known that as 17 year olds. <laughs>
0: When you mentioned sort of like your eyes opening up to everyone being, you know, state champions, and it just really brings into perspective that there are so many different tiers to the sport where there's counties and states and, you know, city championships and all that stuff that there's just so many people that are successful. Now, how does that, how do you kind of, you know, minimize that even more when you try to enter the pro ranks and think it, where did you see yourself kind of after your time at Tennessee ended, you know, not having, you know, the NCA individual title, but wanting to continue on that pro scene.
1: Right, right. Um, so by my senior year, I was at a 201, which is what I ran as a senior in high school. So I knew, I kind of was aware of how this business worked as a pro. And I'm like, okay, companies are going to probably look at me and say, she hasn't really progressed. She may be burnt out. She may be washed up. I understood that. I was smart enough to realize that, Um, but I wasn't ready to give up. Um, And so I knew that it was going to be hard without the financial support, Um, but I was in a position where my parents still believed in me and they said, okay, we will support you financially. You can give it a go one more year. We got you. Give you everything to making the 2013 world outdoor team and hopefully that grabs some attention from some shoe companies and you can continue as a pro um for me with no more school now everything could just be track 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 for 2013 with my type of personality I did not do well with that I was I just was obsessed with becoming a, a member of the 2013 Outdoor World Team and some people can be one dimensional track 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 I learned that year that I cannot be and I just burnt out mentally physically um I think that year in 2013 I didn't even advance to the final at at USAs that year and um was 99% sure that I was going to be done with the sport um, but um was introduced to my faith at that point. And um that just newfound faith was life changing for me in that following year is when I won the indoor world. So yeah. <laughs> what,
0: what does that look like? When you mention being introduced to your faith, what, what, what exactly do you mean by that?
1: So at the twenty thirteen outdoor um championships when I didn't make the final, what which is what I dedicated my life to that year, I was just distraught jj didn't know what to do with me my parents didn't know what to do with me i didn't know what to do with myself i'm like oh my gosh just felt like life was over you know what is life isn't worth living you know that that's how obsessed i was with this goal It was definitely an unhealthy obsession but um at that point i knew of i knew at these championships that there were christian leaders that were able to offer support to athletes um and all throughout college, JJ is a man of faith. So he, you know, he he would drop seeds of influence of, of faith and here and there, but I wasn't really buying into it. But in 2013, I'm like, I don't have any other choice. Like I need something to hold on to. And so I reached out to one of the spiritual leaders at that 2013 championships. And from that day forward, she just became like a mentor to me and um, explained to me that, you know, you're so much more than a runner um your identity does not have to be um in in winning and m- making teams and you don't have to it, it can be a goal and that's okay but you don't have to doesn't have to be this life or death obsession which is what it had became for me and um um just explain to me that you know my identity is in Christ and um it was just life changing for me it was just like a weight was taken off of my back um, and I think that is why I had so much success in 2014 because I was just like I'm gonna have fun with this again like I did in high school I'm not gonna put all this pressure on myself I'm not gonna try to prove anything to the world I'm my self-worth is not dependent how uh, dependent on how I perform on the track um so yes I want to win and yes it's okay to want to win but my like I said my value is not based off of the outcome of a race which for the majority of my life that's what I based my value as a person on Um, and that was just life changing for me that was very freeing for me
0: how does does that change how you approach you know the moments before race everyone kind of talks about sort of like you know locking in or you know totally blacking out and zoning on you know focusing on the moment that's about to come you know having gone through like practice i guess with like your your spiritual advisor at that point how did that change going into 2014
1: so in 2014 um we would we her and i and a few other um female athletes that she was mentoring we just we came up with this term audience of one and so when you step out on that track um instead of thinking like all eyes are on you the world is watching like just see it as an opportunity to worship the Lord with your gift. Um and just just go out there and give it your all for that audience of one, which was God. Um and and whatever the outcome is, you know, you either you don't win or lose, you win or you learn. And so that to me was I could I embraced that and it was it was it became, running, competing became fun again um, with that audience of one and just that freedom of, of just using my gift to to worship the Lord um, that for me um, that approach was just it was just it just was so relaxing and I hadn't felt that type of relaxation I don't know ever um, maybe when I was a little kid and I didn't really care what anybody thought but um, yeah it, it was just very freeing I think is the word
0: 2014 is such a strange year to to like be on and like be all in on because it's you know it's two years removed from from one olympics and you're still halfway through to the next one um to win that world title what did that do for for your confidence i guess forward looking to 2016
1: yeah i think for me it was just like (sighs) like um
0: The photo of you crossing that finish line and being totally <laughs> shocked is still one of the best ever.
1: Yeah. I think for me it was just like, man, like I'm just so glad I didn't I didn't quit. Like I, I'm not washed up. I'm not burnt out. I, I still have some some speed in these legs and it was just like um, the momentum I needed to keep going because it had been, it it was a very dark collegiate career. Um, And then 2013 was tough. And so 2014 was just like that breakthrough moment that I so desperately needed. Um, I was able to quit my part-time jobs because in 2013, my parents supported me. But in 2014, I said, no, you know, I'm 23. I wanna, I wanna support myself. I can do it and train. Um, And so I was able to quit. Where were you working? So I was still at Tennessee with JJ. I was a pro, of course, but I was I decided to stick with him there. And um, I, I became a tutor in our like um, student athlete center. Um, so I was a tutor there. And then I worked at a place called Eddie's Health Shop as a cashier. Um, and so it was long days with that on top of training. But um, yeah, I mean, you got to do what you got to do sometimes. So, um, yeah, they were supportive. They're like, no, you can quit. You know, we, we we're so proud of you and Nike signed me. And it was just, it was just life changing after that. So it's the moment I needed.
0: <laughs> Did you have to kind of not allow yourself to fall into the same trap for 2015 when, that's a world championship year. And just two years ago, it was, you know, throwing all the chips into making that team. So how did you stop yourself from that being the same thing over again, even though you just had this big round of success?
1: Yeah, I think for me, um, so in 2014 outdoor, I, um, I started off well, I think with, um, I want to say I won the pin relays mile, and like 4:31, which like shocked me and everybody else. <laughs> and then I went to Doha, ran 159, and then World Relays. And so it was, I was on fire still in Outdoor 2014. Um, and then at the 2014 Outdoor Championships, I felt a pop in my foot, and I needed emergency surgery on my navicular bone in my foot. So that um, that was a very serious surgery, and took me out for most of the 2015 season. Um, definitely all of indoor. I don't think I competed. And then outdoor, um, I want to say, I think I was ready just in time for outdoor USAs. So I don't think I really had that much experience place that much expectation on myself because it was such a tough surgery and a tough comeback. And again, when I don't do that, I seem to run well because I think I placed fifth at that outdoor U S nationals, which was probably my highest finish to date. So it's just, it's just talking to you. When I look back, I'm like, I do well when I just, and when I'm free and not, and I don't have that pressure because the following year 2016, I did start becoming that obsessive Chanel again. And just did not have a good year so yeah this interview is fun because it's really reminding me that i need to stay relaxed <laughs> <laughs> that's great if i can do that for
0: you then that then i'm doing more than my job <laughs> uh, i do want to stay on 2015 though because you know i believe for the united states like that was that usa in particular it was in eugene it was a big i think like i would say boom for the US championships because i remember two flat barely made it into the final and then you know i think it was like the third spot went to i believe it was ajay wilson or or alicia pania might have won it and brenda was second
2: that was the team
0: it was there was those was those three and i think fourth place was like just a hair over uh two flat and it was like molly ludlow and
2: then after, after
0: that i remember i went out to europe and at the Paris Diamond League, uh, you were there, and so was Molly, and that was a little bit of a redemption tour, where the both of you broke two, and that summer, you ran under two, I think five times, so, you know, that, you, you were kind of, you, you turned it on afterwards, it was yeah. just, just a little bit of missed time.
1: Yeah, yeah, absolutely, yeah, it was like, I, I came along a little bit too late, but um, that, that summer was like you said, that was my best summer that I that I put together so far. It's very consistent, I think. And I had a lot of fun. I think that year they asked me to pace the world record in the fifteen. Um, and so that that year, that year I remember was was a lot. It was a lot of fun just being over there and, um, like you said, doing the redemption tour for me and Molly. <laughs> I
0: I forgot about the role that you played in that fifteen hundred meter world record. How how. How did that come together? What's the behind the scenes? I know it's sort of like Monaco is a place where everyone goes to run crazy fast. um, But when you're assigned as the pacer and, you know, you've had your own strong season, is it just sort of they say, Dababa wants to run this fast. Can you do it? And you're like, yes.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly. I just, you know, I was already over in Europe and my agent uh, Contacted me about this opportunity. They think you'd be great. You're a front. You like to front run. It's naturally what you do. You can you can run a two oh three or two oh four. Um, do you want to do it? And I was like, it was. I've never paced before, so I'm like, he's, he's like, oh, and it's a world record attempt. And I'm like, yeah, I can run, you know, 203, 204 as evenly as they want me to. I don't know, but I'll do my best. You know, that's the hardest part that I found is they want. 30 and a half, 30 and a half, 30 and, a half. and that's just not, it's not easy, <laughs> um, but I said, you know, i I'll do my best, and so, um, yeah, I took that trip to Monaco, it was my first time there, it was beautiful, amazing, the atmosphere was was great, and um, I don't remember if it was Tababa's coach or Tababa's agent, but he said, you know, we because want, I, I wanted to make sure, like, does she really want 203, 204? I don't. I hate those races where you go out and they don't go with you. So I just want. I'm like, does she really want that? He's like, yeah, she wants that. I like, run that and then get out the way. And I'm like, you don't. Have, I don't think I can go any further. You don't have to tell me that. Like, I will gladly get out the way. So yeah, it was it was incredible to watch.
0: So after after Monaco and 2015, the trials in 16. What so you you did end up falling into the trap a little bit, you were saying,
1: yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I think just that whenever it's an Olympic year, naturally, everyone just kind of gets a little bit more anxious, and um, um, and so I just think i I fell into some some old patterns of just wanting it so bad and um becoming pretty obsessive over it, and um, yeah, just. Didn't go so well. (laughs) Wasn't so hot that year.
0: (laughs) Before now, so 16 happens, and now is kind of like on the timeline is where we're going to start to get into a little bit of injuries. But before that, I do kind of want to put a pin in the fact that looking at where you are in your career and sort of the trajectory of, like, U.S. women's 800-meter running, it's it's interesting because you happen to catch, like, a really strong point of, like, Alicia Montano's career Mm – And then also the beginning of the rise of like Ajay Wilson in having raced both those athletes so many times. um, What did you pick up on sort of from being in the races, the way that the event has changed since, you know, you started running the 800 at this high of a level.
1: Yeah, I would say with Alicia, she was um, more so Alicia was more so the, the get out hard. Um, if you're gonna beat me, we are going to run very fast. You know, that's what I loved about her. Um, she brought the the races to a whole nother level, um, just with her style. And um but you kind of knew what you were gonna get when Alicia was in the race, like, okay, we are gonna come through fifty six today, <laughs> you know? And um, so yeah, that was that was a that was honestly, I, I I I enjoyed running that way because I was kind of like that too. Um, And then with with Ajay, she I don't think is as obsessed about. Well, I don't want to say Alicia was obsessed with time, but Ajay she seems to just care about getting the win. Um, it could be in a two hundred five or a one hundred fifty five, but she definitely will take the lead and and kind of just control the race however she's feeling that day it seems like um and has mastered just it's been incredible to just see how she can just dominate a race at any pace um and so yeah just two completely different styles and yeah I, I I haven't raced that much these past three years so it's going to be interesting to see um what my coach comes up with when when it, when there is an Ajay in the race who does seem to front run now um and so yeah we'll, we'll see what he comes up up with
0: well he was working I guess with with Francine Nian Saba I'm not entirely sure if she's still with the group or or because is she in Oregon yeah. or?
1: um so Francine is with OTC still but she's back home in Burundi so um, but yeah hopefully I will be able to train with her next year
2: yeah that's okay. a great
1: training
0: partner to have and yeah. and also yeah. I mean like the, in those years it's sort of that you've missed time it's also been that period where racing against someone like Castor Semenya has just dragged people to insanely yeah. fast times. so you've missed out yeah. on that
1: I know I know oh. <laughs>
0: in 2017 we the injury bug starts to get really bad so kind of walk us through the timeline of what exactly starts to happen um, that year
1: yeah so um, I decided to after eight amazing years part ways with JJ um, and I decided to join Altus in Phoenix and my coach was Ricky Seuss and yeah i had a really really strong fall season or fall base under ricky um in 20 in 2016 leading into 2017 and then in january when we were um, preparing for the indoor season um i started having trouble breathing and um so he just thought maybe i was coming up with a with a cold or something and and had me rest a few days and then when i returned to training um I passed out and was rushed to the hospital, and they found um, blood clots in my lungs. And so, um, that was the start of a, a three-year battle with different things. Um, so, but the good thing was Ricky's wife. Um, he coached her through the same thing, ironically, and um, so he knew how to how to bring me back, um, what to look for and um, was able to to bring me back pretty quickly i ran two minutes at mount sac that year and, and earned a spot on the world relays team um but after and ran well at world relays but shortly after that i just started to not not feel well at all i was really struggling in the races after world relays and um after tests and different took a while but we figured out it was mono so um, that took me out for the outdoor season of 2017. I didn't go to USAs or anything that year.
0: Yeah, it was one thing after the other. Was it scary, you know, having, you know, collapsed, you know, during practice? But it doesn't seem like there was a period where it was a mystery. Like the doctors were pretty quick to, to figure out what it was.
1: Yeah, because in 20, um, 2014, I had a clot in my leg. Um, I had a deep, it's known as a, a DVT, a deep vein thrombosis or something like that. And so when I was going, when I was rushed to the hospital and they, um, asked about my history, um, when they saw that, then they knew, okay, trouble breathing and it's probably blood clots.
0: So after all of this, like, then there, then there comes like the foot fracture, right?
1: <laughs> yeah, um, so after I rested in the summer of 2017, I returned, I rested at home in Pennsylvania, returned to Phoenix uh, to, to resume uh, training Some to get fall, the fall basin, and um, I want to say it was October of 2017, I rolled my foot on a rock, we were doing a grass session, and <laughs> um, ended up fracturing my fifth metatarsal, also known as a Jones fracture, so
0: um yeah I'm like I'm like squirming as I hear just sort of all these injuries um mentally how hard was it and like you had already gone through that first period where it was like you know post 2013 there was doubt creeping in how much doubt crept in this time around
1: I think um after the foot fracture because and the and the blood clots, they were both just such freakish events that um, I wasn't too discouraged after those two incidents. It was in um, 2018 when I broke my foot again. That's when I was like, okay, <laughs> I don't know if I can keep doing it because, I mean, I, in 2017, I broke it in October and I let it heal naturally and um, cross-trained for three months. And then when it went again in February 2018 and they told me I would need surgery, a very, very tough surgery that's hard to come back from, I was just like, I, I may just have to be done. Like, this is, this is I, I don't know if, if, if I could do this. So that was when I started to really doubt was after the second break. Um, but I don't know, something deep down inside was like, no, like, you're not done you're not done. I I can't even really explain what it is. I just know that there's some un some untouched potential there that I that I really really want to I really want to get I really really want to um tap into. So
0: you say it's a, it's a, it's an audience of one, but the cheers and sort of like the that are saying like continue and go on must be loud.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, um when you're trying to make a decision, like whether to walk away from something that's been such a big part of your life, um, I think you have to minimize the amount of uh, people that you are asking, um, because then it you're just overwhelmed with opinions. So I kept I kept my circle small, and I and when it came to making that decision, you know, just my parents, um, my brother, my coach, and my boyfriend, and um, they all just, <laughs> this sounds bad, but they all weren't very helpful because they're just like, it's up to you. <laughs> only only you are going to be able to, to live with whatever decision you make. But they did pose the question, will you have regrets? And I said, I think I will. not. I think I don't want to live with the rest of my life thinking, oh, what if? You know what if I would have kept going and so I think that really helped that that question like will you re- will you have regrets and I was like yeah I will they're like well then just keep going and I'm like okay <laughs>
2: so <laughs> um,
1: as I recovered from that surgery in 2018 and saw how hard it was going to be to come back from it I, I there were moments where I was just kind of like oh, I don't know if I can do this I don't know if I can do this it um, but. That question always seemed to just linger in the back of my head, like, "Will you regret walking away?" And so I think that that really kept me going.
0: What is the the hardest part of a of a comeback like that? Because you know, and and this is something that I frequently ask, like some of the athletes who who come on after you know a spell of injuries, and they put on like these great performances. But for you to have those days where running for five minutes is is a gift and Uh, you just don't really realize that, you know, when, when it, when five minutes felt so easy now, it's like, this is, this is all you can do today.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Um, yeah, it was like you said, like you said, you, you really have to change your perspective. Um, when you're, when you're coming back from injury, um, because like, like you said, five minutes truly is a good day some days, you know? And so, um but I think it's hard as professionals because we just want, we want to push the limits and we don't always want to listen to when they say just five minutes, you know, we always want to do a little bit more. I don't know. I feel okay. I can do a little bit more, but I think I've, I've matured to the point where like, um, I know that more is not always better. <laughs> and so, and that's what the, the comeback from um, the foot injury has taught me that like, you really, really don't want to move ahead of what your doctors
2: are saying. So,
0: and then how how does that first conversation with Mark Rowland go? Where you reach out about taking this chance on you?
1: Um, yeah, we actually. Um, I was at. I flew to California to a race in that. I want to say it was called like the Sunset
2: me the sunset
1: and yeah um last year um because i i finally was was starting to feel race ready i think i ran 203 and then we wanted to give it a try at the sunset tour but i flew out there and my foot wasn't wasn't feeling right um but i knew mark was there so i'm like okay well i'm not gonna race but i could at least speak to mark um and um we met for dinner and he was just kind of like well I don't really like taking on injured athletes and I'm like oh, <laughs> okay <laughs> well because um, he asked yeah, like well why are not you racing out like oh my foot's bothering me and he's like, oh I don't really like taking on injured athletes but um uh if if you can get that you know if if throughout the summer you can kind of get on top of that then I would you know I wouldn't mind bringing you out to Eugene and, 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 and seeing what we could accomplish together. Um, but he really wanted me to, to use the summer to, to make sure that I was, was prioritizing my foot, which looking back, I'm glad he kind of gave me, um, that advice because I, w- I just wanted to race. I'm like, I can, I, you know, I can take some ibuprofen and, and get through these races. And he's just like, why are you going to go to USA's in, in 203 shape, you know, just call it a season and, and get your foot right. And, um, and, and that was great advice. So I'm glad he told me to do that.
0: So when we're kind of following this, you know, this rebuilding of Chanel price, at what point do you get the green light and know that you're race ready, except for the fact that we're now in a weird time where there's no actual races?
1: (laughs) Um, so I moved out here in October and, um, had an interesting fall a tough fall it, it, um yeah it was it was tough in a way that is kind of hard to explain because it was mark um was he just really wanted to not injure
2: me he was like
1: i just want to he rather he wanted to take it i just wanted to grind and he just wanted to not injure me and so we were kind of in a weird spot because um in a weird way, bumping heads, because like I said, I just wanted to get out there and train and he, and he wanted to hold me back. So fall was, fall was interesting. And, and, and.
0: It's growing pains. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Fall was interesting, but I, I finally was just like, just, just trust him. Just, just, you moved here, just buy into it. Um, and so I want to say um, in February he started, you know, it's like, he started turning up, the heat and I'm like okay now 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 I can now I see where this is going and um I can just remember um clicking off some some pretty good workouts come March and April and then um I want to say I really started feeling like old Chanel in like in May and so took some time I think but um yeah I want to say around May is when I
2: was like okay like I'm finally feeling like my old self.
0: So kind of, this is, I'm, I'm very impressed by the, the race, the, the, the odd race that took place where it was a dual meet between the Atlanta (laughs) Trap club and the Oregon track club, because, and I talked to Des Linden about this right now, it's so hard for, you know, some people are really doing well with virtual races and (laughs) like they can still find that, you know, whatever's in them from an actual real race and then perform really well. So I was particularly impressed by how fast you ran. Um, How weird was that to prepare for a race with no one else on the track? No idea how fast they're running, you know, on the other side of the country, but still have it in you to give it, you know, a really strong effort.
1: Yeah, Um, it was very weird. but. I think because it had been so long, I was just like, Oh, I'm going to take advantage of this. You know um, the competitive juices were flowing because like you said, no one was on the track with me, but I didn't know that someone was across the country running at the same time and we wanted to win and you want to do it for your team. And so it just kind of, you amp yourself up and you, um, it is hard to, to, to push yourself, you know, to, to run a, a decent time. Um, and I can see why a a lot of athletes are struggling with it because it's tough, you know, but I just wanted to make the most out of the opportunity. And that's just kind of what, um, coach Rowe said, you know, guys, I know this is weird, but just, you know, just make the most of it. You do have a session afterwards. So, you know, just, um, just, just hurry up and run your, uh, your race and then we'll, we'll proceed to the session. So, um, for him, it was just kind of, a check-in to see that we were moving in the right direction with training.
0: So to hear sort of like this refreshed approach to Chanel Price going into an Olympic year, I'm very curious now, can the 2014-2015 super fit version of you make something like the 2021 team or do you think you're going to have to be even better than you were ever before?
1: Yeah. I honestly think I'm going to have to be um better than I ever was before. Um which is why I'm so thankful for this extra year under Coach Rowe. Um yeah, the the depth of the women's 800 in the US is is phenomenal and so um yeah, I I think that I'm going to going to have to take it to take my game to another level to, to make that team. And so I'm just excited to see um, to, and, and, and push myself and try to do that.
0: All right, we'll move to the final questions that I ask every guest. The first one is, what is the funniest drug testing story that you have?
2: Oh, let's see. Um, You've
0: been in the pool probably. for a while, right?
2: Yeah, so I'm like <laughs> –
1: I have some funny stories. I want to say when I was um, when I was injured in Phoenix when I had my surgery, and so I was on crutches. Um, the they were still, you know, I was still in the testing pool, and um, I can remember. I just I couldn't go. I don't
2: know for the <laughs> life of me, I just couldn't
1: go, and so I'm like. I had plans that day to, to run some errands, even though I was on crutches. So I just remember, and they have to follow you everywhere. And, and there's no like, time frame for when you have to go to the bathroom. So I just remember like, this lady going around Phoenix with me I, and to the grocery store to wherever I had to go that day. And I'm just crutching around. And she's just just following me <laughs> on my crutches. And she probably think I'm like doing it on purpose. But like, I for the life of me, I just couldn't go. I think I This sounds bad, but I think I was, you know, I wasn't really training. And so I probably just wasn't hydrating properly. (laughs) So, yeah, here I am on my crutches and this drug lady is following me around Phoenix. So that was pretty funny.
0: (laughs) The unintentional, like, best friend you didn't ask for for that.
2: Yeah, exactly.
0: (laughs) What's the meanest thing that you've read about yourself on letsrun.com?
1: I think when they when we were winning all of those pen relays wills at Tennessee um oh, what was the phrase that they were I just remember our mouth dropped like oh my god that's so me I want to say they called us like oh, what did they call us just something on the lines like those muscular men or something just like kind of referring that saying that we were males or something like that and it was it was pretty tough but I remember um JJ just being like, stop going on that site. Like <laughs> so I, I don't know if I've been on it since then because they can say some pretty mean stuff. <laughs>
0: That's a smart move. If you could go on a run anywhere in the world with anyone from history, they don't have to be a runner and they can hold a nice conversational pace with you. Uh, where would the run take place and who would it be with?
2: Oh. Man, these are good. Um I think
1: I would go definitely to Monaco <laughs> with Martin Luther King Jr.
0: It's a great answer. Um, Monaco <laughs> is like the one place. I, I did the four-mile run from one end of the country to the other. So if anyone ever asks, like I ran across an entire country. <laughs> Last one is got nothing to do with running, but it will test your basketball skills. If you get 25 shots from half court on a full full-size basketball court, if you make one, you win $25 million. If you don't make any, you go to jail for 25 years. Would you attempt the shots?
1: I think I would. We have a basketball uh, hoop here, and it's been how we've been passing some of our time in, in quarantine. So, and, and I'm pretty good, so I think I would try it.
0: <laughs> bold, bold. I like it. Chanel, thank you so much for doing this. Uh, this has been a blast.
1: Yeah, thank you so much. I really really enjoyed talking to you. I appreciate it.
0: That does it for this episode of the show. Many thanks to Chanel for the conversation. If you listen to this and enjoy the episode, give us a shout out on your Instagram stories. I will repost it to all of our followers. This helps new people discover the show. You can also support us by leaving a uh, nice review on Apple Podcasts. That helps improve our ranking on there and hopefully we can land a $100 million deal on Spotify down the road. Many thanks to Gooder for sponsoring the show. Show some love for the sponsors. Pick up a pair of the most affordable performance sunglasses. They're only 25 bucks a pair, and they come in great styles. I got a couple compliments on the white pair that I have, which are called the Ice by Yetis. Uh, so visit Gooder.com/sidious to see some of my favorite styles. That's Gooder.com/sidious. G-O-O-D-R.com/sidious. Check them out. Support the sponsors that help keep this show going. I've been your host, Chris Chavez. We should use some happy
2: and healthy running. Legs are feeling good. Eyes are looking gooder.